You are now listening to the Faith Community Bible Church Podcast. It's our prayer that this message is not only a blessing to you, but to your entire family. Join us as we aim to make Christ known in our community by caring for the community. God bless. While you're standing, grab your Bibles. Let's go to Romans 9 this morning. Romans chapter 9. God, you're worthy. God, you're amazing. Romans chapter 9. We're looking today as we continue in this series through Romans, specifically at verses 1 through 5, is where we'll be today. Welcome all of you here today, those who are first-time visitors or even watching online today. We're grateful for your either physical presence or your virtual presence to faith community today where we exist to make Christ known in the community by caring for the community. Romans 9, beginning at verse 1, here's what Paul says. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Amen. You may grab your seats as we look specifically today at Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. If I could tag these five verses um, for these preaching minutes today, I want to use as a subject, gaining by losing. Gaining by losing. Again, looking at Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Again, we will tag this text today, gaining by losing. As many of you know, um, I love to read a good book. A good book that not only stretches me, stretches my thinking, but does a great job at providing great insight really on a topic that I'm interested in. It's not that I don't like reading. It's just I I just got to read something I'm interested in. Because if I ain't interested in it, I'm going to close it put it on the shelf, and be on to the next one. I remember reading a really good book about four or five years ago or so titled Gaining by Losing by an author um, by the name of J.D. Greer. He's a pastor 
at a church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina called Summit Church and wrote this book titled Gaining by Losing. This book, Gaining by Losing, really focuses on really creating ascending or a missional culture inside of the church. And this book does well at pressing into the idea of raising up disciples and then sending them out on mission. The entire premise of this book really reveals the point that if we want to gain for the kingdom, we must be willing to lose something or rather someone for the glory of God. He presses in and just really, again, presses into this idea that if we really want to see the kingdom of God expanded, then we have to be willing to lose people in order for it to happen. Now, he wasn't talking about lose them as in death, but lose them as in raising them up, Sister Christina, and sending them out. This for many, many of us, right? I remember um, Pastor Baker, when we read this book, I began to have this conversation with many guys around me who were missionaries or who were pastors and began to really flesh out this whole idea of a missional or ascending culture that says, let's raise people up and send them out. I said, well, in some areas that makes sense, but you mean to tell me that I got to send out my best? Well, don't that leave us handicapped? But really, as I, as I really begin to process this, I'm like, you know what? For the sake of the kingdom, we should be willing to not only raise people up, but to lose them for the sake of the kingdom. For many of us, it, it really presents a difficult thought process because it's not that we don't want to see the kingdom expanded. But what I really had to wrestle through was, was I willing to give up anything to see it happen? What was I willing to give up to see the kingdom of God expanded? It's not really a question of if we really love the Lord and want to see people come to know Him, but what are we really willing to sacrifice to see people one for the Lord? Now, as men and women who are devoted to simply making Christ known in the community by caring for the community, I want to ask you a question if I can. And, and as I ask this question, I don't want you to be too quick to answer, but I want you to process this. If seeing someone else come to know the Lord would cost you something that was near and dear to you, would you be willing to give it up to see somebody in relationship with Jesus? If seeing people around you come to know the Lord, would you be willing to give up some, something or someone that you love, a position that you desire? A position that's been yours for years, or, or, or uh, this ain't faith community, but y'all remember back in the day, Mike, they used to argue over what seats was theirs. What if having seen somebody come to the Lord meant you had to give up your seat? You had to give up your comfort. You had to give up your preferences for people to come to know the Lord. Would you be willing to give it up? The question that I really want us to process and wrestle through as we work through these five verses, what are you willing to lose for the benefit of the blood bought? That's the main point today. What are you willing to lose for the benefit of the blood bought? See, when you are in the hand of God, you should be willing to lose something for the sake of someone else. 
What are we willing to lose for the benefit of another coming to know the Lord? Paul wrestles through this here in our text. It is, it's remarkable, really, thinking about the apostle Paul and how Paul here moved from the joy of Romans 8 into the sorrow and burden of Romans 9. A passage that many preachers, many pastors, many people who, are, who study the Word just don't really like to talk about Romans 9. They want to avoid Romans 9. But I would argue that many people avoid it simply because they, get, they focus on things that are minor in this text. We focus on trying to prove who or who isn't God's chosen people. We focus on all these different things when really the thrust of Romans 9 is really pressing into the sovereignty of God and how he chooses who he will, how he will, and when he will, and ain't nothing we can do about it. That's that's what he gets at here, right? Paul moves from the joy of Romans 8 into the sorrow and burden of Romans 9 as he concluded Romans 8, right? Y'all know neither height nor death nor things present nor things to come. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? If this was the church of today, Sister Keisha, right, that was his close, right? He was taking it to the cross. He closed Romans 8 with a shout in his shanana. But then goes into Romans 9, weeping, burdened, with sorrow. When he looked at Christ, he rejoiced. I just want to ask you, what do you, when you look at Christ, what's your response? When he looked at Christ, when he thought about Christ, he rejoiced. But when he looked at lost people of Israel, he wept. As he talked about Christ in Romans 8, there was so much joy. But when he thinks about those God desires to be in relationship with, because he knows, right, at the end of Romans 8, that they are more than conquerors, he has a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. Let me tell you this, right? I just want to tell you this, right? Lostness should grieve us so much that we should be willing to be thrusted into action. Like, he was so grieved by lostness. He was so grieved by people who he knew belonged to the Lord, but because they were rejecting the truth, it burdened him. Now, we know, right, this ain't nothing new for Paul because that was the same thing that happened in Acts 17. Acts 17 talks about when Paul was waiting for them, he got stirred up. He was burdened by all the idolatry and sin that he saw happening, and he was stirred, and he did something about it, right? There's all this, all this lostness, all this idolatry and stuff happening, right, in the city that we live in. But what are we willing to do to see Jesus glorified in it? Lostness should give us, it, it should grieve us so much that we should be willing to be thrusted into action, right? Like Moses, Paul was willing to be cursed and separated from Christ if it meant the salvation of Israel. What a man Paul was. He was willing, like, like think of, wrap your mind around this. Paul was willing to stay out of heaven for the sake of the saved. He was willing, he, he was willing to give up his seat on a midnight train to Georgia to see others come to know the Lord. He was willing to go to hell for the sake of the law. Would you give up your salvation for folks you say you love? Both Moses and Paul both were willing to be cursed and separated from Christ if it meant the salvation of Israel. But, but, but for me, right, Sister Cassandra, this kind of stirred me a little bit because I'm like, 
if he was willing to give up his salvation for the sake of Israel, I just got to know something. Who is Israel? What's so great about these people that Paul was willing to give up his salvation? He said, I'll be be cut off from Christ for them. I just got to know who these folk are, right? Who are they? But Moses said it. In Exodus 32, verse 30, he said, the next day, Moses said to the people, you've sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Elias, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit you, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. If Moses was willing to go to the Lord on behalf of the Israelites to atone for their sins. Still leaves me with a question, Davina. Who was Israel? If Paul was willing to be separated from Christ for the sake of them, who were the Israelites? To answer this question, we got to take a look at Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you, here it is, a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Which then led me, Lanisha, to Deuteronomy. Chapter 7, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. This is where the question is answered. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on, on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. And it's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Israel. This nation of Israel, this people were very special to God. And we see that, right, from those passages that the nation of Israel was God's chosen nation. The Israelites are God's chosen people. Israel was adopted by God as his own people. He gave them his glory in the tabernacle and the temple. The glory Moses beheld on Mount Sinai came to dwell in Israel. We see that in Exodus 24. God gave Israel his covenants, the first to Abraham and then additional covenants to Moses. Moses and to David. He also gave them his law to govern not only their political and social, but also their religious life and to guarantee his blessing if they obeyed. He gave them the service of God, referring to the ministry in the tabernacle in the temple. He gave them promises, right? The purpose of all of this blessing 
was that Christ through Israel might come into the world. All of these blessings were given freely to Israel and to no other nation. That's why Paul was grieving here in this text. He said, all of these blessings, right, all of this is given to you, but but I'm full of anguish. I'm full of pain. Why? Because God chose you and you're rejecting his truth. I know, right? We like, ooh, glad I ain't Israel, but if you've responded to the gospel, you are God's chosen person. And if you have responded to the gospel and you are God's chosen person, don't turn your nose up at Israel. Turn, grab your phone and turn on your mirror app. Look at yourself and say, God, am I rejecting your truth? God, am I turning my back on what you said? And see, because, we, because for whatever reason, we want God's promises, but we don't want to be obedient to get it. Because we think that because we're so gifted and because we're so wise and because we're so smart that we deserve so much. Now, now let me help you because I'm with you. You, do, you deserve something. You do. And I don't want you to leave here thinking that I don't deserve anything because I want you to know that there's something you deserve. You deserve hell. You deserve eternal separation from God. But thanks be to God that he don't give us what we deserve, but God through his power is extending his grace to us, even though we constantly reject him. Listen, the nation of Israel, the Israelites were very special to God because they were his chosen people. God chose the nation of Israel to be the people through whom Jesus would be born, the Savior from sin and death. God promised the Messiah after Adam and Eve fall into sin in Genesis 3, but God later confirmed that the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We saw that, right? Genesis 12, right? Jesus Christ is the ultimate reason why God chose Israel to be his special people. God did not need to have a chosen people. Well, why did he do it? Because he decided to. Jesus had to come from some nation of people, and God chose Israel. God's reason for choosing the nation of Israel was not solely for the purpose of producing the Messiah. God's desire for Israel was that they would go and teach others about him. Listen to this. Those who have, those who will eventually respond to the gospel call, let me tell you this. If you have or you eventually will respond to the gospel, you are God's chosen people. The Messiah has already been produced, but just as Paul was sorrowful for the loss, just as Moses was grieved because of sin, so should we be as well. We should be grieved to a point that we go and tell others about Jesus. Yes, it's God, it's God who sovereignly chooses, and we don't know who the elect are. That's not something that we know. That's why we have the responsibility to take advantage of opportunities to tell others about Jesus and his power to save. Let me ask you this. What are you willing to lose for the benefit of the blood ball? What are you willing to lose for the benefit of the blood bought, right? What are you willing to give up to see someone come to know the Lord? When you are in the hand of God, you ought to be willing to lose something for the sake of others. What if seeing someone come to know the Lord cost you your time? Would they come to know the Lord? What if somebody coming to know the Lord cost you your preferences? Let's be more specific. What if somebody coming to know the Lord cost you your worship style? 
What if someone coming to know the Lord costs you the preference of how you dress? Maybe, maybe that's not hitting it good. What if somebody else coming to know the Lord costs you your life? What are you willing to lose for the benefit of the blood bought? When you're in the hand of God, you should be willing to lose something, lose someone for the sake of others. I love how Jesus said it in Matthew 9, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children um, or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. See, when you know you belong to the Lord, you know, right, um, whatever you lose for the Lord, right, nothing compares to the splendor that you will experience on tomorrow. So, yeah, I'm willing to give it all up. If it means that uh, my neighbor come to know the Lord, I'll give it all up because I know that there's a crown waiting for me in the new Jerusalem. And if it means that I got to give it all, I'm going to give it all up for the sake of seeing others come to know the Lord. The question is, why should, be, why should we be willing to lose for the benefit of the blood ball? Paul, I love it right here, right here in our text. He gives us some reasons. Guess how many he gives us? Three. <laughs> three, right? How do I know it's three? Because I give either three to five every week, right? I'm a creature of habit, right? <laughs> and, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you, I'm real Baptist. They all of them start with an F. How about that? Yeah. He gives us three reasons here in this text why not only was he willing to be a curse cut off from Christ for the sake of others, right? He shows us here why he was willing to gain by losing and really gives us something that we ought to wrestle through as well, right? He shows us three reasons why he was willing to be cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of others. Number one, because of the facts. The facts, right? We should be willing to give up something for the benefit of others. We should be willing to give up something for the blood bought because of the facts. Watch what he says. Paul says, he said, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. Right, Trina? What he's saying here is that no cap. No cap. This all facts, right? I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He was willing to be cursed and cut off because he knew that what he was speaking to them was facts. What was facts? All that he had shared with them about Christ up until now. Like, think about it. Everything that he had shared with this Roman church up until now, right, he knew that it was facts. Y'all, I know we, we got to go, but, but, but can, I, can I walk down the facts? Let me walk down the facts that he gave them, right? Romans 1, right? Romans 1, 16, right? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it reveals the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first, also to the Greek. He said, I'm speaking the truth in Christ, right? When he was talking about the power of God in the salvation, guess what it was? It was facts, right? Even Romans chapter 2, for all have all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be 
justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are, uh, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men. How? By Christ Jesus. What he's saying, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. These are facts, right? He said, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. Everything that I've already said to you, even in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. It was facts. Even Romans 4, now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but here it is, also for us, it will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It is facts. Romans 5, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely would someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love, right, proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? It is facts. Even Romans 6, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. Jesus, it was facts. Even Romans 7, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was all facts. Romans 8, know in all these things we were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither height, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is facts. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying everything I told you, right? You can take to the bank. Paul was willing to be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of others coming to know the Lord because it was facts. Because he knows the power of God. He knows the saving power of Jesus. He knows what the mighty hand of God is and what it feels like. Therefore, he wants others to experience it as well. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience, he says, bears witness. What he said, he said, my conscience bears witness. I, 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 I testify inside of myself in the Holy Spirit. In other words, he says, my soul, my inner man has been totally rocked. By this truth, therefore, guess what he says? I put it on everything I love. I, he said, I put it on everything uh, that I love, that this is the truth. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish because of the truth that I know. I'm pained by the lostness around me, but I don't just want to ignore it. But for the benefit of, for the benefit of others, I'll give it all up. I'll, I'll gain by losing. 
What are you willing to lose for the benefit of the blood bought? Do you know when you know the truth, it does you no good to just argue about it if you ain't willing to change nothing because of it. What are you willing to lose for the benefit of the blood bought? When you're in the hand of God, you ought to be willing to lose something for the sake of others. Not only because of the facts, what we know about God, right? But second, not only was it facts, but, but he was willing to lose, be accursed and cut off from Christ because of the family. Not only facts, but for family. Watch what he says. Verse 3. He says, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. They are Israelites. <laughs> Paul here expresses this endearment toward them because they're his family. They're his family. He said, I wish that I was cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters. They're my flesh and blood. Right? They are Israelites. They're God's chosen people. He said, this is my brother. This is my sister. This is my kinsman by blood. In other words, he's saying, I'm willing to give it all up for them. These are my kinfolk. These are my cats. These are my woes. We down like four flats. These are my people. And I'm willing to give it all up for them. They are Israelites. They are God's chosen people. He felt a deep anguish for those who were God's but rejected his truth. Paul's concern is that despite of being God's chosen people, many of them were rejecting the truth. So for the benefit of the family, he was willing to be cursed and cut off from Christ. Think about that for a moment. Family is something that we all hold near and dear. Over the last few days, many of us, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, spent time with family. Even if it wasn't blood family, it was some people you consider family. We laughed together. We ate together. Some people overate together. Maybe even cried together, but the truth is there's nothing like family. No matter what they've done wrong, no matter what you've done wrong, because they're family, you still want what's best for them. Why? Because those are your kinfolk. These are people that, who are near and dear to you. Even if your family has some sort of history where, right, God had to work in you to redefine what family looks like, you still love and desire to be with family, right? There, there, there's, there's some kindred, right? There's some connection. These are your kinfolk. Because of the family, Paul says, because I love them, because I'm endeared to them, because these are my people. What he does here is he demonstrates compassion. The same compassion that God showed Paul is the same compassion that Paul wanted to display with them. Now understand that. This word compassion means to have mercy, to feel sympathy, and to have pity. We know that 
according to Scripture, right? God is a compassionate and gracious God. Um, Psalm 86 says that he's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Like all of God's attributes, compassion is infinite and eternal. His compassions never fail. Lamentations 3 says that um, his mercy never fails. It's new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Our God is a compassionate God. And the same compassion that God showed toward Paul, Paul was like, listen, I would be remiss if I don't show that same compassion to my kin, folk. Right? Compassion really alludes to kindness and sympathy. But there's something deeper. There's something even more profoundly powerful. Really, when you think about compassion, the origin of the word compassion really helps us really um, to begin to fathom, if will, or to grasp the true, the true significance of this word compassion. In, in Latin, this word compassion um, is compati, which means... Hear this, to suffer with. It means to suffer with. So compassion really means someone else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. Compassion really means another person's suffering becomes your suffering. True compassion really changes the way we live. True compassion really changes the way we think about those who are lost. True compassion really works hand in hand with grace, right? Because, right, Paul was so compassionate about his family being lost that he was like, listen, you are so lost that I'm burdened because you don't know the Lord. I'm burdened because you are sinking deep in sin. I'm burdened because you are God's chosen people and I just want you to know him. He, he expressed compassion to them. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. As people of God, we got to be compassionate. And you know, Scripture, uh, we got to be compassionate to our family, showing that same compassion. Scripture admonishes us to have this same compassion, right? Galatians 6, right? Carry or bear one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Even 2 Corinthians 1, right? Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of our comfort, who comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort or show compassion to those in any trouble with the comfort or compassion we ourselves receive from God. Do you know, right, there's no trouble more real than the trouble of sin, the trouble of unforgiving sin. Let me ask you this. The question comes is, if we are to show compassion to our family, how do I show compassion toward a family in the midst of my own pain? How do I show compassion toward family, toward my family when they constantly reject the truth? How do I show compassion toward my family when they don't know that they are my family? You do know lost people don't even know that, like, like let me tell you this. It's just like you, David, or us. <laughs> we were so lost that we didn't even know we needed the Lord until we already had him. They were so lost. But the question is, right, like we were so lost, we were a part of God's family and didn't even realize it because we were, we were enjoying what was happening on the other side of the fence. 
Come on, y'all. We were enjoying it. As a matter of fact, made plans to go on the other side of the fence after we begged the Lord to free us. And then we do other things to mask our pain. We did not even know that we were a part of the family. But Jesus shows us how to be compassionate. Christ shows us how to live out compassion. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, exemplified all of the Father's attributes, including his compassion. When Jesus saw his friends weeping at the grave of Lazarus, he felt compassion for them and wept alongside them in John 11. He was moved with compassion for the suffering of others, Jesus healed the large crowds who came to him in Matthew 14, as well as the individuals who sought healing in Mark chapter 1. When they saw the large crowds as sheep without a shepherd, his compassion led him to teach them that the things the false shepherds of Israel had abandoned, the priests and the scribes were proud and corrupt. They despised common people and neglected them but Jesus even had compassion on them. Now, isn't it something that we would much rather have conversations and talk bad about false teachers and not show compassion to them? But Jesus was like, yeah, yeah, the, the, these Pharisees were teaching foolishness, but I'm still going to be compassionate to them. He t- not only did he show them compassion, not only did he teach them, but Jesus loved them Anyway, Jesus saw that people were hungry. He showed compassion by giving them something to eat. Jesus saw that they were sinking deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore, very stained deep within, sinking to rise no more. But Jesus, being the master of the sea, heard your cry, and from the waters, he lifted you. Well, how did Jesus show compassion? I'm going to tell you, his love lifted you. When nothing else could help It was the love of God that reached us when we were unreachable. It was the love of God that pulled us up from our drowning. It was the love of God for his children, his family, that helped us in the midst of our rejection. He lost his life for his family. What are you willing to lose for yours? He gave up everything he had for those who belong to him. What are you willing to to lose to gain for the kingdom? What are you willing to lose for the benefit of the blood-bought? When you're in the hand of God, you ought to be willing to lose something for the sake of others. Listen to this, though. Those who have, those who will eventually respond to the gospel call. We are God's chosen people. The Messiah has already been produced. That's Christ. But just as Paul was sorrowful for the lost, just as Moses was grieved because of sin, you know, you should be as well. We all should be. We should be grieved to the point that we go and tell others about God. Yeah, it's God who sovereignly chooses. We don't know who the elect are. But that's why we have the responsibility to take advantage of opportunities to tell others about Jesus and his power to save. Y'all do know one of our values here at Faith Community is intentional evangelism. And and us being intentional in our evangelism says, you know what? I'm looking for opportunities to tell somebody about Jesus. Like it's almost like if your favorite team win the championship, you can't wait to go to the losing team on the other side and say, guess who won this game? Or you go to a restaurant and the food is just off the chain. You you can't wait. Yo, you got to go try this restaurant 
the food was really good. But certainly Jesus is better than your team. Certainly Jesus is better than your favorite restaurant. Right? You should be willing to tell others about him intentionally. Not just in passing, but intentionally. Like how, like, how do you intentionally show compassion to someone that's lost? How do you intentionally share your faith with somebody? Like, like I'm going to plan on this day, hey, Nate, I want you to come to lunch with me, all right? Let's just have, spend some time together, and I want to plan to share the gospel with you. I ain't going to tell him that because if I tell him I plan to, he ain't going to come. I'm just going to invite him for a meal. Compassion. I mean, Nate ain't lost, but he was just in my peripheral. I just don't want y'all to be like, I knew that bass player wasn't no Christian. But understand this. Paul is saying, listen, because of the truth that I've experienced, I want God's people to know him. So I'm willing to be a curse, cut off from my relationship with Christ because of the facts because of family, not facts. Everything about Christ is true. Because of the family, these are our brothers, these are our kinfolk. But finally, we should be willing to give up something for the benefit of the blood bought. Final point, because of the favor. The facts, the family, and the favor. Watch what he says, verse 4. <laughs> I love this. He says, they are Israelites, and to them belong. <laughs> Did y'all hear that favor there? He says, in other words, later later, here's what he's saying. He says, these are my people. And because they are my people, there's some favor that belongs to them. There are some things that is theirs. Then he begins to list what this is, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. He says the ancestors are theirs, and from them by physical descent came the Christ, who is over all, praised forever. Amen. He was willing to give it up for them because of what belonged to them. Because of the favor, let me tell you, do you know this? The favor of God belongs to the people of God. The favor of God belongs to the people of God. The favor of God really can be described as, a, as tangible evidence that a person has been approved by God. When, when we, when we think about it, when we favor someone, y'all, we want to be with them. When we favor someone, we delight in them. When we favor someone, we connect with them in a way that we don't connect with everybody else. We usually favor people who also favor her, us. But in the same way, God shows favor to the ones who he delights in or who delights in him. Those he connect with or those, um, those who give honor to him. I love, right, Isaiah 66. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit who tremble at my word. Even 2 Chronicles 16, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. To be perfect toward him means we seek his favor more than we seek the favor of anybody else, even ourselves. But what I love here is that as he talks about favor, right, that God shows the blood ball, he breaks it down. He says, to them. He says, they are Israelites. 
They're God's chosen people. Let me remind you, if you've responded to the gospel, you are God's chosen people. Believe it or not, we don't even have the—we're so lost, we don't have the power to choose God. It's He who chose us, right? Remember Romans 8, right? Um, those who He called, those who He summoned, those who He invited. We couldn't summon God. We couldn't invite God, right, because we were so jacked up, right, that we didn't even know we needed Him, right? But He says here, those who belong—like the Israelites, my chosen people, because they belong to me, to theirs is adoption, meaning that they are— accepted. God, let me tell you this, God accepts you as you are. Well, once, well, just let me get myself together. Then I'll go to the Lord. If you could get yourself together, you would have did it a long time ago. But, but, but he, he, his adoption is yours. God accepts you as his, right? Because you belong to God, there's a divine choice and divine favor extended to you as people of God. He says adoption, the adoption. Then he says the glory, which, which, which is splendor, this honor, this prestige because of who your father is. Wherever, let me tell you this. Here's your shout right here. It's the only one I'm going to give you today right, when he says the glory. This glory gives us this word, our, our word splendor, honor, prestige, right, and, and, or, or, or even majesty. Now, hear this. Wherever there's majesty, that's where God is. So, God, so, so what God is communicating through Paul, they, they are Israelites. These are my people, and my presence belongs with them. Right. And it, like, like you, you mean to tell me that like I, I want to give up something so folks can know God wants to be with you. Right. Because we are his. He's always with you. Then he says not only adoption, not only the glory, but he says the covenants. Now, if you really look up covenants, this word covenants is really the last will and testament. The last will and testament right there, right? He's saying um, the promises of God are theirs. God has made many, many promises in Scripture. Each promise, God pledges that something will or will not be done or given or come to pass. These are not some flippant, casual promises as we often make, but these are rock-solid, unequivocal commitments made by God himself. Because God is faithful, the recipients of the divine promises can have full assurance that what God has pledged will indeed be realized, right? Numbers 23, 19, he said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he a son of man to repent, but if he speak a thing, won't he come to pass? He's faithful to his promises, and because we belong to him, the covenants, right, the will, the last will and testament, the, the, the promises of God are ours. He says, not only is the adoption theirs because they belong to me, not only is glory theirs because they belong to me, not only is the covenant theirs because they belong to me, but he says, the giving of the law. Now, understand that the law is really a guide for morality and life. For the people of God. He says, because you belong to me, I ain't leaving you to figure it out by yourself, but I'm giving you my word, which is a lamp into your feet and a light into your pathway. So, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to be accursed. I'm willing to be cut off from Christ so that my people can know how to live. Yeah. 
Yeah, the giving of the law. Then he says, right, um, because they're my chosen people, right, they are Israelites, to them belong the temple service. Now, now this is a game changer, right? He says, because they are Israelites, they are my people, right, to them belong worship. What he's saying is that because, right, I, like, I want them to know the Lord because if, and until they come to know the Lord, the Lord isn't getting the worship that he deserves. How is it that we say we belong to the Lord but don't worship him like we ought? Y'all know what Jesus said in John 4? That the hour is coming. We're true worshipers. Let's worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit means, with, he's saying, with everything that's in you, you ought to worship him, but in truth is according to his word. Hey, Israelites, they're my chosen people. And to them, he says, belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service. And just in case somebody thought he was leaving something out, he ended the verse and he says, and the promises. <laughs> the like. What he's saying is that because these are my people, because they are God's people, Paul is saying because they are God's people, the promises of God are theirs. What, what does these promises mean? The commitments of God. God is committed to them. And I cannot be comfortable seeing lostness happen all around me, knowing, right, that people are totally oblivious to the fact that God has committed himself to them for all eternity. The promises of God can definitely be yours. The same promises that God is making to the Israelites are the same promises that God is making to us today. The promises of God requires obedience. When you surrender your will to the will of God, it means that you're obedient to him. God promises to never leave you nor forsake you. God has promised to supply every need that you have according to his riches and glory. God has promised that his grace is sufficient for you. God has promised that as his children, you will not be overtaken with temptation. God has promised you victory over death. God has promised you that those who believe in Jesus will have eternal life. God has made promises to you that he plans to keep because you belong to him. But what if it was others? Oh, he was making those promises too as well. But all you had to do was to willing to be lose something so they may be gained for the king. Thank you for listening to the Faith Community Bible Church Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by the message on today. To respond to today's message, please go to fcbcstl.com forward slash respond. If you would like to give to support the mission and vision of Faith Community Bible Church, you can go to fcbcstl.com forward slash give. God bless.